It is a great joy to be here again. I came two years ago with a ministry team from my home in Maidenhead, and uh, it's a real privilege to be able to be back here again. So thank you all for giving up your Saturday morning and coming here today. Um, And we're going to learn a little bit more about contentment. But as I stand here and as we begin, I must admit, I feel a complete and utter fraud. How can I possibly speak to anybody about contentment? After all, I am one of the most discontent people that I know. Contentment means, according to the dictionary, what the world says in the dictionary, contentment means the state of being happy or satisfied. And I know that each and every day I am often dissatisfied. There are many areas of my life where I am unhappy and I'm discontent and I wish that things were different. So I chose this topic today uh, when I was asked to come and speak because I thought this is a lesson that I need to learn. I need to learn so much more about how to be content as a Christian woman in the 21st century. And I guess, since there's quite a lot of you here today, that I'm not alone, that it's something we think we all need to learn a little bit more about. We need to learn how to be better at being content in the situations that we find ourselves and in the lives that we have. So I think as we study this this morning, it's going to be a challenging morning and it's going to be an exciting morning as we see what God our Father has to say through his word. So I think we've already looked at what's going to happen this morning a bit. Um, We're going to um, discuss, I'm going to talk a bit, then you're going to discuss in your groups. On your tables you should have some sheets of questions and some Bibles. But in fact, all the things that we're going to look at, all the Bible passages, you can find in your booklets on page 8 and 9. But we'll do that later. And then we'll come back together, we'll discuss what hopefully you've learnt, and then we'll move on a bit and uh, have another discussion. Okay, so it's going to to be broken up between me talking, you discussing in your groups, and then coming together. Judy said coffee round about quarter past 11. We'll see how we go. We will have drinks later, I promise, but it might be a bit variable as to what time. So, let's get going. Contentment. Is it really necessary? Is it actually achievable? Can we really become contented people? in the 21st century. Well, by ourselves, I think in our own strength, it is absolutely impossible. But with God, we are promised that all things are possible. Solomon, who probably wrote Ecclesiastes, said life is meaningless without God. But he also put in Proverbs... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And it's that verse that's written on the front of your booklets. Because today I'm going to make no apology for the fact that we're going to be basing all that we look at in the Bible 
in God's word, in what the Lord has to say to us. Because it's only then that we will learn to be wise and learn the knowledge and the, the way to live today in the 21st century. So we will be going to God's word time and time again so that we can learn this secret of contentment. So very recently, a survey was carried out by one of the travel magazines, and uh, they, they were doing a survey for which 10 things made people most happy. If you had to come up with a top 10 of what makes people happy, what would you put on it? So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes. If you haven't introduced yourself to everybody on your table, do that now. Find out everybody's names, find out which service they come to, or if they're visiting here today for the first time. So just a couple of minutes to get to know everybody on your table, and then decide what you would put on that top ten to make people happy, and then we'll see how it matches up to my list. Okay, so go. Two minutes. Who'd like to tell me something that their table thought makes people happy? Any offers? Pardon? No? Anybody off? Give, going to give me something? Money. Anything else? Food. Absolutely. Food, definitely in Malaysia. That makes me very happy. <laughs> what else? Good health, yep. Music, yeah, music's a good one. Any, what else? Peace. Peace between countries, peace between people. Inner peace. Yeah. Pardon? Gardening. I'm with you there. Gardening. That's my relaxation. I love gardening. Love. Love and relationships. Family. Anything else? Friends faith yeah faith significance in the world success a good job you got a good job yokling <laughs> i think we'll count that as part of family yeah security Fantastic. That is a really good list. Okay, I think we'll stop there. Let's see how it compares to what the Times-Telegraph decided was the top 10 things from their survey that they did that makes people happy. Are we ready? Okay, according to the people of the world, this is it. Anything there that surprises you? <laughs> Any surprises there? Watching TV, clearly, for a lot of people in the world, that's a really important thing. And they didn't put food down. Clearly, they didn't interview a Malaysian. <laughs> we got quite a lot of those things um, so that's what the world says 
makes them happy. Do you remember that definition uh, from the dictionary? Contentment is a state of being happy or satisfied. Well, I think there are three specific areas of our lives where we need to find that contentment. And we need to understand more about God so that we can... Why is it not clicking? Be content. And these are the three areas we're going to look at today. Firstly, with ourselves... We need to find contentment with our circumstances. That's the the place that God has put us. And then we need to find contentment with what God has planned for our lives. So those are going to be the three areas. And I think there's a page for each in your booklet. So first of all, the first thing we're going to look at is if only we could be content with ourselves. If only you could be content with yourself. So how did your day begin today? Maybe you've had the most wonderful morning. You woke up, you pulled back your curtains or your blinds, and you rejoiced at the beautiful day that God had given. You had an encouraging time as you sat and read his word and then prayed. You had a delicious breakfast. You got through the traffic easily without shouting or screaming at anybody. And as you arrived here this morning, somebody provided you with a drink. Anybody had a morning like that? (laughs) One or two. Fantastic. Okay, maybe you've already done the housework, the grocery shop. You've prepared breakfast and lunch for your family, because obviously you're not going to be there. You've sorted out the childcare. You've left a list of jobs for someone else to do. You've already nagged the children a few times, and you've been cross at least once with your partner. Um, You couldn't turn out onto the road. The traffic was terrible. You almost swore at someone. And you're wondering why you've come today. Because actually, you haven't got time to be here. You've got so many other things to do. But at least someone gave you a drink as you came in the door. Anybody had that kind of a morning? (laughs) Let me tell you about mine. So I got up. I tried on at least two outfits before I came here today. And I still think I look fat in this. But that's because I am. I tried to smooth out my hair, but it still looks as though I've had an electric shock. Because I was so long messing about with the way I looked, I had a really rubbish quiet time. I didn't actually have any breakfast because the boys had eaten all the cereal. We're staying in a guest house. The boys had eaten all the cereal and the bread was mouldy. So I was very grateful when I got here and that there was a cup of tea and a little piece of cake. I got on the LRT and sat there wishing that I was as elegant as the person sitting across from me. I was frustrated by the traffic that they never let pedestrians across. And I came into this building, this church, this house of prayer and worship to God. And all I could think was, she's got a really nice top on. I wonder where that came from. Well, they've got a really nice necklace. I'd like one like that. Or I wish I could wear that colour. IOU is generally something that we refer to things that we owe to people. That I owe you some money. I owe you a meal. I owe you a lift. It's something that we have to do for someone else. But today I want to think about IOU in a different way. Because I think that the biggest trouble with being content as women today is that we live in an IOU society where we are always saying, if only, 
you had. If only you were. We spend our life saying, if only. Because we are not content with what we have and where we are and who we are. If only I had sensible hair that didn't look this ridiculous. If only I was thin. If only you had enough time to do all that you needed to do. If only we could be happy with the situations that God has put us in. And as women, we are often very concerned with what we look like. And why do we worry so much about that? Well, let's face it, the world encourages us to worry about what we look like. The world encourages us to be discontent. Every day we are bombarded by adverts and images, either on the LRT, on the underground, on the buses, on the television, at the cinema, wherever you, in the magazines, in the newspapers, wherever you go, we see adverts telling us what we should look like, what sort of people we should be. We see models with with perfect, flawless skin, beautiful complexions, perfect figures, not an ounce of fat to be seen anywhere, never a wrinkle. They always have perfect makeup and wonderful straight teeth. We never see a model with bags under their eyes, with spots and pimples, with a bit of spinach on their teeth, a blob of ketchup down their front and with hairy legs. It just doesn't happen. But if we did, we might feel an awful lot better about ourselves. Because every time we see these images, we can feel discontent. We don't match up. We don't live up to, obviously, what we're supposed to be like. If only we had more images like that. We are constantly told that the only way to be happy and content is to use this shampoo, to wear that makeup to shop in this shop for our clothes, to drink this coffee, to use this gym, and so on. And even if we don't believe them, and we say, no, I know, I don't need to do that, even if we don't go along with it, it gets into our subconscious, and after a while, we still feel discontent, even though we know we're not conforming and not joining in with what the world says. It can still leave us with that, if only moment and it isn't just the ads as women and I do think this is a real problem for women as women we often look around at everybody else and we make snap judgments all the time subconsciously we always compare ourselves to other people whether you're in church whether you're walking down the streets whether you're at the school gate in the supermarket or in the gym we subconsciously just give each other a quick two-second look up and down, and that determines, at that moment, how we feel. We might think, oh, I'm thinner than them, and we feel good about ourselves for ten seconds. We might think, if only I could wear those high heels and walk in them, then I'd feel happy. And we feel really despondent, and we wish that we weren't so dowdy. We think, oh, they look ridiculous in that short skirt. It would look much better on me. And we feel pride in our appearance. Or we wish we had as much money as they obviously did to spend on their hair. 
and then we feel resentful. So subconsciously, we spend our lives making assessments and judgments on other people from the way that they look. And those judgments affect the way that we think about ourselves. And they encourage us to be discontent. And we know that our culture judges us. It's not just we judge ourselves, but the whole of culture judges us on what we look like. So we feel that we have to conform. We feel that we have to live up to other people's expectations because we're going to be judged on just what we look like. So I've got three pictures here. Um, sorry, they're not as bright and as clear as I'd hope. But uh, let's look at the lady on the left. What sort of person would you say she was? Any offers? A mum. Yeah, a mum. Anything else? Comfortable. She looks happy. Yeah, she looks like a mum, she's comfortable, just sort of a normal person, isn't she? Okay, what about the lady at the top? What, what do we think about her? Professional. Why? Why do you immediately say professional? Because she's dressed very smart, isn't she? Yeah, she looks professional. She looks as though she's got a top job somewhere. She looks capable competent you know you make all of these things you know she's maybe she's she's got to be clever to dress like that hasn't she? she's going to have a good job somewhere and you've all of a sudden you've made up a, a whole life for her she's going to live in a, a you know a penthouse flat she's uh, she's going to be eating out every night of the week in some posh restaurant you know you've you've decided her whole life because of what she looks like what about the girl at the bottom She's a goth. I think she actually looks like Claudia, those of you that <laughs> that met Claudia over the last week. Yeah, she's a goth. Would you employ her? It depends on what, what, what would you employ her to do? Pardon? A tattoo artist. <laughs> yeah, we perhaps wouldn't decide that she's a professional woman in charge of her own company, would we? Looking like that, she's she could be in her own accessories. Yes, of blue hair and uh, body piercing. Yes, she could be, but uh, she, you know, it's unlikely in a sense. We wouldn't assume that if we met her on the LRT, would we? We would assume that perhaps she was a student or unemployed or just had a very queer sense of fashion. Um, you know, we make assumptions all the time about what we see of people. We do it, other people do it to us, and it leaves us with a feeling of slight discontent. If we don't feel that we fit in, we dress appropriately, we look appropriate for our circumstance. So what I want us to do now is to look at what the Bible has to say. In your booklets on page 8, you will find Psalm 139, some verses from there, and there are some questions on your table. I think there should be enough sheets so that you can share questions one between two, and I'm going to give you five or ten minutes to look at those questions, to look at that Bible passage, to see what does God say 
about each of us. So uh, a few minutes to look at those and to discuss together in your groups. To be the way that we are, and I find that hugely encouraging, that God has planned and decided what each of us should be like. And so we're made to God's exact specification as well. We aren't like a bit of Ikea furniture or a bit of a Lego model, which when you've built it or finished it, you've either got a few bits left over and you think, what on earth are these for? Or you find that you're missing a few bits, more probably if it's from Ikea, and you think, well, I don't know how this is supposed to stay together anyway. We aren't like that. We are perfect in God's eyes. He decided whether our eyes should be green and our hair should be blonde or our legs should be long and our body should be fat. He decided whether we'd have really good self-discipline. He decided whether we'd um, be tall or short, uh, black or white. He decided all of that about us before we were even born. He had a purpose in all that he made us to be. And he even knows how long we're going to live here on the earth. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. So we, as human beings, were planned by God, even before we were formed in our mother's womb. And our days are known about even before we began them. So the whole of our lives, all that we are, who we are is planned and purposed by God. And as we know from Genesis, all that God made, he said was good. So we are good. God says we are good in the way that we look, in the people that we are. Well, as well as knitting, I love climbing mountains. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll just stick with knitting. There we go. Sadly, we haven't had time to climb any of your amazing mountains here. I've so wanted to go to the Cameron Highlands and um, over to Sabah. But uh, another time, another time. But I love getting to the top of something. And whenever I get to the top of a mountain and look at the whole of the, the valley spread out below or the cliffs or whatever there is, I always think of Psalm 8. I think of what David said in Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Creation is absolutely amazing. You only have to look around every day to see some of the amazing things that God has made. But in Psalm 139, we're told that we are equally amazing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I hope that you all saw that there in the passage. When we look in a mirror, we should be as amazed at God's handiwork in creation as we are from looking out at the top of a mountain. We sometimes don't like the way we look, but it should still amaze us that God could put us together with eyes in the right place and a nose on our face rather than on coming off our knee, that we have arms and legs in the right le proportions and hair. You know, God has just made us amazing. 
And it should thrill you and excite you every day as you look in a mirror. We should be able to go, wow, God, thank you for making me who I am and what, what I see before me. And please help me learn to be content with that because this is what you have made. And we shouldn't complain, therefore, about what God has made because he has planned us from before the beginning of our creation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So the world may say to us, we're too tall, too short, too fat, too thin, too dark, too blonde. Our legs should be longer. But God says that we are made without any mistakes. We are made exactly to his specification. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and so we should be grateful. There's another proverb in the Bible that says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. And I think that's something the world doesn't often remember. But for us as Christians, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And those are the women that we are called to be. To remember it's not about our image. It's not about what we look like. It's about our relationship with the Lord. So we are significant to God because he made us. He cares for us. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. He cares for us as his creation. He made us. He loves us. In fact, he loves us so much that he didn't leave us to face the consequences of our sin. He sent Jesus so that we can be forgiven and be in that right relationship with him. So I owe you, if only, if only we could remember what God says about us rather than what the world says about us, then we will grow in our contentment with ourselves. God says that we are significant to him. And that is far more important than what the world says about us. So the way that we can be content with ourselves is to know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and significant to God.